Hi, this is Jeff, and I'm the pastor of Water Life Miami here in Miami, Oklahoma, and this is our podcast. This week we start a new series on Revelation as we hear, as we see, and as we feel Jesus. I hope you enjoy. discovering right now is we can have knowledge of Jesus but not experience the revelation of who he is. Um, I have knowledge of the Sydney, Australia Zoo but I have no revelation of it. I've never been there. I've never seen it. I've never touched it. I've never smelt the zoo smells, right? Um, I have knowledge of what, I hope I don't lose anyone on this one, of what alcohol can do, but I don't have any revelation because I don't have a personal encounter with alcohol. I'm one of those maybe few people, I don't know, don't need anybody raising your hands and saying, oh yeah, 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 I know exactly what you're talking about. We don't need to go there. Um, The demons have a knowledge of Jesus. The Bible says they believe in him and tremble. They know what he is capable of, but I don't know that they have revelation of who he is. I I think it's crazy. I have a knowledge of acorns falling on the roof of the building, on our metal roof. But um, I, I, I envision... You have Satan before his fall in all of his glory. The, the Bible talks about him being adorned with so many jewels and colors. And, and, and their sole purpose was to reflect the glory of God. And The Bible in the King James Version talks about pipes coming out of his being. And they would portray the wind of God blowing through. And his sole purpose was to radiate and glorify God. And he had a moment in which he thought he could be like God. He wanted the power and he wanted the place of God. And in so doing, he wound up no longer uh, abiding in the very presence of God. I wonder if he had a knowledge of God but didn't have a revelation of God. Adam and Eve in the garden, um, in the very perfect place called the Garden of Eden that God had set up for man to not only have harmony with earth, but harmony with each other and harmony with him. To walk, the Bible says that after Adam and Eve had fallen, God came to meet them in the cool of the morning. Can you imagine the encounter that God had set out to have with them? And they had a knowledge of God. Maybe they'd had, touch, they'd had moments of reaching out and touching, walking arm in arm. But I wonder, did they have a revelation of the nature and the character of God. You see, Adam and Eve, as well as Satan, in the very glory and presence of God, found a place where they wanted to be in charge. They wanted to be like God, and they fell. You think that if you're in that place, maybe none of us is immune. Judas walked with Jesus, watched Jesus perform miracles. Judas... um, maybe even perform some miracles himself. But we all know if we've read anything or even heard some of the 
Easter story know that there was a man by the name of Judas that um, betrayed Jesus, opening the door for him to present himself as a sacrifice for us. Then I think of John. John in the New Testament, one of the followers of Jesus. John, somewhere around here I have notes. I probably should look at them. John, knowing who Jesus is, teaching about who Jesus is. I believe with all of my heart that he had a revelation of Jesus, not just a knowledge of Jesus. You see, there's a difference between having a knowledge and there's a difference between that and revelation. Revelation is this revealing the true heart, the true character, the true nature of whatever we seek to know. It's beyond knowledge. I uh, know many, many Bible scholars that have no relationship with Jesus. We can go to our secular universities and uh, sit in philosophy classes and religious classes and and be taught by instructors and professors and people with doctorates in theology that have no revelation of who Jesus is. But here's John, and he's sitting and uh, on a he's been exiled. He's cast away. And he opens up the book of Revelation with a revelation. As it opens up, as it as it opens up, we've got John, and he is taken away. I'm going to start in verse nine of Revelation and read this, and it says, "I, John, your brother and partner." In the tribulation, the kingdom and the patience, the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Before I go any further, we're going to talk today about the word of God, hearing the voice of Jesus. And so we've got we've got John, and he's uh, here at this isle, this island Patmos, and he's there on account of the word of God and the testimony of. Jesus. I, I intended to do just three weeks on various aspects of the, the tangible encounter with Jesus, but I have a feeling we're going to be stuck on the Word of God for a few weeks. I just I get this feeling that this isn't going to be uh, part one, part two, three. I think it's going to be part one A, part two, or part one A, part one B, part one C, then we'll go on to two. I just kind of have this feeling, but here he is. He's cast away on account of the Word of God. What's so special about the Word of God. I think there must have been a place in John that he didn't have just a knowledge of God because I believe he would have stepped away from the things of God, but he had a revelation of God through Jesus Christ. And it says here, on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. In verse 10, it says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Very significant time. He had uh, set aside the day of the Lord. I, I, God is beginning to speak to me on the importance of the Sabbath and, and having a day set apart to Him, something I am failing miserable at, and that's okay. I think uh, I, I can't be the only perfect one in the room, so I'm going to have issues there. Uh, my wife, if she were in the room, would be the perfect one in the room. But um, anyway, um, here he is, and he's in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. Here we are in this place today, and, and I hope that we're in the Spirit on this. We call the Lord's Day, gathered with each other in a corporate scenario And he says something, he says, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. 
I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis and to Philadelphia, also to Laodicea. So I heard behind me and he said to do something. And then in verse 12 he says, I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me and I and on turning I saw oh saw seven golden lampstands and in the midst of the lampstands like a son of man think of the picture here clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest he saw a picture of Jesus the hairs on his head were white white like wool like snow his eyes were like a flame of fire his feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like that of the sun shining in full strength. It's one of these things where I don't know if we can truly imagine what John is seeing. Because he's describing something beyond anything we could encounter here. He's describing something that is beyond... uh, the norm of what we encounter in people. I can give a description of Sean. And you all might understand it if he wasn't in the room. I could talk about his goatee and his beautiful balding head and things like that. But John in here is describing in terms of things that we can't wrap our brain around. Imagine in this moment the revelation, the continued revelation of what John is having. He's uh, described this thing as uh, that he sees as... Um, golden lampstands. We don't have a tangible thought of what that must look like. And in the midst of that, we've got this man clothed with a long robe, golden sash around his chest. I, maybe we think of some Spartan or some, some I don't know, Spartan, that's not what I meant, some uh, Greek god or, or something like that. Maybe Caesar, the pictures that we've seen of some uh, Egyptian emperor. The hairs on his head were white, white like wool, like the snow. Imagine that and Maybe here we're seeing Gandalf standing on a bridge about ready to say, You shall not pass. No. I don't think we can get close to that. And get this. His eyes were like a flame of fire. Oh, that we would see that when we look into his eyes. His feet were burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. His voice was like the roar of many waters. I think some of us have been to the ocean and we've heard the lapping of the waves, but have we heard the roar of many waters? From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. Seems kind of an awkward description, but the the symbolism in, in the strength of who he is and the authority of his word, shoot two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, verse 17. But he laid his right hand on me. So we've got this description here of I heard, I saw, and I felt. He said, fear not, for I am the first and the last. The one living God, I died, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades, or hell, Hades, however you want to say it. But I want to point out over the next several weeks, hearing him, seeing him, and feeling him from a perspective of revelation of who he is. Next week, we're going to talk about some things that might challenge some of our theologies. 
might challenge what we thought it meant to be saved. You're going to see very clearly what salvation looks like next week. And it's a beautiful story that we're going to narrate in this room next week. But today, I'm going to simply look at hearing Jesus. Job, one of the encounters that he had with somebody, describes the voice of God, much like John here is, Uh, His voice is like thunder over the waters. In creation, when we go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, the book of Genesis, when God created, the Bible says He spoke, and then it happened. He said, let there be light, and there was light. He said, let there be, and there was. There's creating power and authority in the voice of God. And we also know in that account of him saying and it coming to pass, he makes this phrase, let us make man in our image. Us and our. There's this implication that there are more than one present at the point of creation. We know uh, just from reading through scripture that he's not talking about angels We know through reading the words of Jesus that if they are caring, he says, in our image, he must be present with somebody. And I would say in this place, he's present with his son, Jesus, the Holy Spirit. He says, let's make something in our image. Let us create man and and make him in our image. And I can point to some scripture where we lose the image of God and Jesus had to come to restore that image upon us through the shed blood of Jesus. And again, that's not for today, but there's some really, really amazing things to see in that. But as I was reading, I was taken to the book of Isaiah. So we're going to spend a few minutes in Isaiah, and then we're going to jump into the New Testament in the book of John. <laughs> and uh, just bear with me, I'm, I'm just kind of sorting through some of this in my mind today. I don't know how organized it's It is, I just know this, there's revelation for all of us as to who Jesus is through his voice. The prophet in the book of Isaiah, chapter 30, and we're going to look at 18 through 22, has this encounter that he wants to address about the voice of God. And he says, therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him, for a people shall dwell in Zion and Jerusalem. You shall weep no more. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. As soon as he hears it, he answers you. The Lord will give you bread, the bread of adversity and the water of affliction. Yet your teacher will not hide himself any more. Your eyes shall see your teacher. I've got this picture here. He talks about the bread of adversity and the waters of affliction. And it seems like when we go through adversity, when we go through struggles and we go through trials, one of the first things we cry out to God in that moment isn't rescue me, but it's where are you? It's not rescue me, but it's where are you? And and I would uh, pose in this place today that it's not so much that he has removed himself from us in our afflictions and in our trials, but he has presented something before us so that we would reach out to him and we would find him and we would see him as our teacher through the struggle. And I love this. When we see him as teacher in this reference, he will not hide himself. 
your eyes, your eyes, they shall see the teacher. And your ears shall hear a word behind you. Doesn't that sound familiar? John was taken up from the aisle and he was caught up in the spirit on the Lord's day. And he heard a voice behind him. And in here, the prophet says, and your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father except how? Through him. And he says, this is the way. Walk in it. And when you turn to the right or when you turn to the left, then you will defile your carved idols overlaid with silver and your gold-plated metal uh, images. We can look at some symbolism there of going back to our old life and trying to remember what it was before Jesus and putting up idols in that way, but he comes to defile those things, and you will scatter them as unclean things. You will say to them, be gone. So looking at that verse 21, this is the way, walk in it, is what is said by this voice. Hearing the voice, understanding this is pointing to Jesus, we've got in his voice guidance. His voice guides us would be my first point today. His voice guides us. But I need a word from God. I don't know what to do in this situation. Should I or should I not? I'm faced with a new job opportunity. Should I take it or should I stay where I'm at? I don't know how to handle this child. I don't know how to handle this circumstance. I don't know what to do with my bank account. I don't know what's before me. And all I really need to do is hear the word of the Lord for this. And in hearing His voice in our situations, in our circumstances, we find that He is there to guide us. He doesn't leave us alone. He doesn't leave us as orphans. He doesn't forsake us. As a matter of fact, he wants to be involved in every aspect of our lives in a guiding voice. And yet I've never heard his voice. Have you? You heard a tangible, like a loud, verbal, thundering Abigail's over here smiling and saying, yes, I have. She's more spiritual than I am. But I've never heard an audible voice of God, but yet I have heard the voice of God. I've heard Jesus. Now, I've heard it through reading scripture. I can remember a time, I was younger, and this is 1996, and my parents were moving from Tulsa, Oklahoma, don't worry about that, from Tulsa, Oklahoma to Rogers, Arkansas. And they were seeking some direction. God, is this for, in fact, what you have for us? We can go to to Washington State, we can go to Arkansas, we've got some opportunities before us. And through Scripture, God pointed to a widow that would help them, through Scripture. They made a decision because of aging parents, my parents, my parents' parents, my mom's parents, I should say, were in northwest Arkansas, through various prophetic words and just the peace of God, which is oftentimes how we hear him. They wound up in northwest Arkansas, pastoring a church over there. Shortly after moving there, my mom's dad died, leaving my mom's mom there as a widow. She cared for them, and she helped them, and she was part of the church over there. God was speaking through Scripture. I would challenge you today, if you need to hear the voice of Jesus, his Scripture This thing right here is full of his voice, his heartbeat. This is where you can read. I don't know if your Bibles have red letters or not. This one does not have red letters in it. But read the red. 
He's speaking, and he's speaking all kinds of things. Read the parables. Oh, my goodness, we're going to do a series on that after the first of the year. Um, after we do a series, I'm always doing series. We're going to do a series on God's already, I believe, thundering what our theme for next year is going to be for the church. We're going to look at that for a few weeks, and then we're going to look at the parables. And we're going to understand the theology of Jesus through the parables. And I'm excited about that because that is his doctrine. The doctrine, if you want to know the doctrine of Jesus, you have to read his parables. And so we've got this set up before us here where uh, the scripture is full of what I should do, how I can be blessed, how I can operate in wisdom. Scripture says, if any of you lacks wisdom, ask for it. If any of you uh, needs healing in your body, ask for it. Scripture tells us so many things. It's like it's got formulas in place for us, but we've got to know that his voice guides us. His voice is our guide. We've talked about or heard about a moral compass in a secular society that has no moral compass. Well, his voice is our compass. The Holy Spirit will guide us through the voice of Jesus. We've got to hear that, though, and find that he is the way. And it's oftentimes, if you don't even know where to go or what to do, my counsel to you is just follow Jesus. Just follow Jesus. And in following him, he won't take you to a place you shouldn't be. Amen? Follow Jesus. And so, I want to look at John now, chapter 14. The words of Jesus. His voice is going to be our guide. We now need to look at how it guides us. And this is a passage of scripture that's often read in funerals. It's often talked about how, um, where we're going to, how we're going to wind up in heaven. I, I'm vastly against living this life to get to heaven and totally for living this life in a heaven encounter. The Bible says that to, to know Jesus is to have eternal life. And once I know him, I step into eternity. I don't have to die to get there. You follow what I'm saying there? I don't have to get someday, live my life right, live my life well, live on purpose and on point to get to heaven. I believe that once I said yes to Jesus, I stepped into the culture of heaven. We'll talk about that some next week as well. Jesus says here in verse 1, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Almost went to the book of Revelation. And if I go and I prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to them, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. So if our first point was his voice guides us, then his voice must remind us of our access to heaven, of our access to God. It says, no one comes to the Father except through me. He is the gate. It's like there's this big, big, vast something, we'll call it a throne room, to walk into, to experience the fullness of God's presence. And the only way to get there is through Jesus, who is the gate. I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. Jesus, you see, this whole message, I could have just said, gotten up here and said, it's Jesus. What are you going through? Jesus. 
What do you need to know? Jesus. How do you find heaven? Jesus. How do you find peace? Jesus. How do you answer all the problems of the world? Jesus. As a youth pastor, I would uh, get up and I would ask the students questions all the time. And they would all try to come up with right answers and impress the youth pastor, right? I'd ask something, they'd be like, well, in the third chapter of the book of, and here and here. And then they all started to figure out, typically you can't go wrong. The answer was Jesus. So I'd ask this hard, tough theological question, and, and Andrew, this young man, would, it's Jesus. It's like, that's not the question, answer I was looking for, but it's not the wrong answer, right? It's Jesus. How, how do I worship? I, I don't know. I just have Jesus. I see Jesus. How do I live this life? Jesus. How do I find and discover my calling? Jesus. How do I uh, d- operate in this dying and sick world? Jesus. How do I go to work tomorrow when I hate my work? It's Jesus. How do I exist in this life of existlessness? I know that's kind of weird, but it's Jesus. How do I raise my children? It's Jesus. He will guide us to all of that, but he is the access point. I'm going to tell you right now that I'm going to get things wrong all the time with my kids. But if they learn to access the presence of God because I stay in access and encounter with God, then I will not fail them as a parent. They won't leave long term. Never. Jesus' name. Listen, my my joy in raising my children is to teach them to access Jesus. Abigail, you don't know this, okay? You just got to turn your ears off. Pretend like you've never heard this. No, you're good. I used to have my office set up at the house. And I can remember, some of you may have heard me talk about this. I, I would be sitting there in my office, and I'd be writing sermons, and I'd be writing blogs, and I'd be uh, seeking Jesus for the direction of this church and trying to figure out, God, where, where are we? What's going on? And, and that was my place. And, and the thing would happen all the time, though, is I'd be sitting there, and God would just be downloading some things into me, and someone would crawl up into my lap. just want to be with daddy. Now, I don't know, my flesh response was, I don't have time for this. I've got a sermon to write, tomorrow's Sunday, I've got too much going on. I can't let that happen, go. Abigail, leave. Don't sit on my lap right now. Don't show me all your love and affection. Leave. I've got too much to do. But I felt like instead of doing that, that I needed to teach them that how they come to me is a direct representation of how they can come to God. So no matter how busy I was, no matter what was going on, they always would jump in my lap. I wouldn't push them away. Now, on Sunday morning, sometimes I struggle with that a little bit, just to be serious. Uh, you know, computers aren't working. I've got a lot of things put together. They just want to show me how they can hit a ping pong ball, and they just want to love on me and show me all their pictures they've drawn and see, look at my pretty dress. And they want to do those things, and sometimes I get so caught up and so busy. But listen, Dad's in the room. Your primary job is to welcome your children onto your lap always because you're going to teach them as they can access me access their father. We can access Jesus. We can access the father. Margie Kinchin was my wife's youth pastor's wife. Get that? She would always tell the kids, be Jesus with skin on. 
people see you? Do they see what you're dealing with? Do they see Jesus? Now, I'm not telling you a message of you fake and put on a front. I'm telling you, put on Jesus. Put on Jesus. Jesus is the gate. He's the way. He's the out. He's the escape. Listen, we're on an escape. There's an escape plan. Escaping a kingdom that is of man into a kingdom that is of God. Jesus is the gate. And then in verse 7 in John chapter 14, it says, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you know him and have seen him. Now Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and is it enough for us? Jesus said to Philip, Have I been with you so long that you still don't don't know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? It's like he was perplexed. You've sat on my lap while I was writing sermons. You've seen the way I love people. You've seen the way I express. You see the way I have compassion. You see the way in the morning, in the early morning hours, I get away to encounter the one whom I love the most. And yet you look at me and you say, show me the Father. Have you not seen him? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, verse 10, and the Father is in me? He says, the words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. The Father who dwells in me does his works. So if his voice guides us and his voice reminds 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 us of our access, then his voice, this is proper grammar, it's going to sound weird, is the works of the Father. His voice is. I looked at that, and his voice are the works. No, his voice is the works of the Father. Think about that. When, he, when God, going back to the garden, as I addressed earlier, when God spoke, things create. When Jesus spoke, something was created in man. Imagine that Jesus could walk up to somebody, having never seen a miracle, having never really encountered who he is, and he can look at this man in a boat and say, follow me, and he drops everything. He follows me. He created something in his heart based on his spoken word. By the voice of God, the voice of Jesus, when he opens his mouth, he creates. When he says things like, what what should I say to you? Your sins are forgiven or rise up and walk. They're the same thing, but it's something in his voice that elicited a response upon our bodies, upon the body of the people that he would pray for, for them to experience the fullness of God, the revelation of what he's capable in their lives. It was the power and the authority of Jesus, and it came through his voice given to him by the Father. And he says, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or also, or else, believe on account of the works themselves. Think about that. It's not enough just to believe in me, believe that there were works that showed that. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. See, what's so powerful in that is we can equate that to miracles. We can equate that to all the great things that Jesus did. But I want to put it in this light. For generation after generation, after kingdom after kingdom, From exile to deliverance, the only way to get to God was through a blood sacrifice. And Jesus has given us a way to get to God that is greater than that. The greatest work, Jesus went and he accessed the presence of God 
continually, continually, I'll say that word right. He would get in the presence of God. He would be moved by the presence of God. He was in the perfect will of God because of that. He says, I do these things, but because the access I'm going to give you through my shed blood on the cross, because I'm going to go sit at the right hand of God, not in a place of authority, but in a place of inheritance. Authority comes with inheritance. But, but because I'm going to go on, I'm going to sit next to him, there's going to be an access that you have that is even greater than what I'm demonstrating to you on this earth. We're not living there. We're not experiencing this greatness, these greater works. We're not living maybe in revelation of who he is. And he says in verse 13, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Here's the thing. His voice is our guide. If His voice reminds us of our access, if His voice is this works of the Father, my last thought based on these last two verses I just read is we were intended to have His voice. It says if you ask anything in my name, you do anything in my name, you are intended to have my voice, and his voice is his authority. We're called to have his authority. We're called to have his voice. We're called to create when we open our mouths. So when we look at our children and we call them stupid, we're creating something in them. But when we look at them and we call them amazing, when we tell them they can do anything that they put their hearts and minds to, that they're the best at, Listen, we're creating in them. When we look at our sicknesses, and, and, and I, I can't help, I know there's some, some snuffing, snuffy, snottily, snottily, snuffy. Anyway, we've got some, some stuff going on in the room, and I, I know that Abigail's been battling a headache, and I had a migraine last night just in time to uh, finalize this message. And, and I look at all of these things, and I look at people that, that have cancer, and they say this phrase that breaks my heart, and it's this, my cancer, my migraines, my affliction. And in so doing, we're creating, claiming ownership of something God never intended for us to have, my arthritis, my whatever. And what he's saying is, you might say that I'm exhibiting some symptoms, but he's calling you to say, my healing, my health, my wholeness. And I speak into this building in that same manner that this place would be full of people who did not know Jesus, who now know Jesus. That this place would be full of people seeking an encounter, a revelation, a realization of who Jesus is. That these walls wouldn't contain what God wants to do. I speak with my mouth that those of you in here in a creative form would leave this place today and find moments of revelation of the goodness of Jesus. That you wouldn't need to come in here for a corporate experience of God to be your only encounter but you would find Jesus on Monday and you would find encounter on Tuesday and you would find revelation on Wednesday and you would find hope on Thursday and you'd find your purpose on Friday. Speak those things. The Bible calls that faith. Speaking those things that are not as though they are. See, he's intended for us to have his voice. Another word I think of is advocate. An even greater word is power of attorney. Deal with some powers of attorney, probably sometime with your work with people needing to sign loan docs. Maybe you don't. 
but I used to deal with uh, mortgage lending, and I can remember the powers of attorney, and the person was, John Smith would be buying a house, and Carla Carmichael would be signing for him as if he was present with all of his authority. That's what we have in the voice of God. How do we practically do something with this? How is this more than just a sermon? How does this become something that is everlasting in my life? How do I get there? And all I can say is, we've got to get in His Word. We've got to get in His voice. And we've got to start believing the authority that He's given us. And we've got to come back next week. I'm going to leave you hanging on that. We've got to come back next week because... What I'm going to talk about next week might be the most significant and real message you will ever hear in your life about victory and freedom in the voice of Jesus in our life. <laughs> well, I sure hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. If it has blessed you, please click the subscribe, leave some feedback. Uh, Should you want to contribute towards this ministry and all that we're doing in northeastern Oklahoma, feel free to go to our website, wlmiama.com. That's W-L-M-I-A-M-I.com. Click on the Give tab, and it'll walk you through some steps right there. God bless you, and until next time.